You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live today. I will be your host today, Katie Jackson, and I know um, Lauren Holder has been running these, show, these shows for the last couple months. Um, unfortunately, Lauren's father passed away uh, from complications uh, due to Huntington's disease a couple days ago, and all of our uh, thoughts are with her and her family during this very hard time. Um, last month, Lauren came up with this great idea and brought it to us about Mythbusters. A lot of us know that there is a lot of false, maybe, I don't know, false, um, kind of conflicting information out there in the Huntington's disease community, especially with social media um, and these like big, vast platforms where a lot of people are talking from around the world and, um, and false information or, or information that just hasn't been verified is out there. So what we wanted to do is take four of our largest subjects that we see kind of have misinformation out there and do a Mythbuster show. We decided to bring on some of the top seasoned uh, health, um, HD experts in the whole space um, to talk to us and break these kind of subjects down for us. So, of course, these are archived episodes, so they are always available um, on iTunes, Blog Talk, and our website. So there'll be a great resource for us uh, for years to go because a lot of these topics really aren't going to change. Today we have the amazing Dr. Sam Frank on with us. He is a neurologist and runs a center and people just love him from all over the country. Um, He is definitely one of those seasoned experts. So of course he came to mind right away when we were going to do a Mythbuster show. And today we are actually going to talk about stages of HD. So welcome to the, sh- uh, the show, Dr. Frank. Thanks so much for coming on with us today. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and let's, so can we start, um, most people know who you are, but let's start for the people that don't. Let, can you tell us uh, a little bit about your work in HD and why you got into HD? Absolutely. Um, I am a movement disorders neurologist, and I'm at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, one of the Harvard hospitals in Boston. And I got my start in HD at home of the Huntington Study Group at the University of Rochester when I did my fellowship and really got hooked on Huntington's disease at that time, actually related to why I'm on the show today, Mythbusters. There was so much information that we could provide, and just simple education was uh, enough for many patients and families at the time to dispel the, the myths and to provide information. And I just found the fact that we could do so much for people just with information and the, the promise of, of um, potential treatments and research around the corner. We're still around the corner, but that was very appealing to me. So when I was a, a fellow and I finished my fellowship in 2004 at the University of Rochester, um, and it was a very exciting time. 
that was, I was the medical monitor for the tetrabenazine studies. And so there was finally a drug that was approved not long after that. Um, and I was faculty at Boston University for 11 years before I came over here about five and a half years ago. Um, and I've been involved in clinical studies in various roles, but really to help out with symptomatic therapy development as well as potential disease modification studies. So I, I've, I got my start almost 20 years ago, um, actually over 20 years ago now in, in the Huntington's disease world, and it was just so promising and there was so much that we could do uh, that that's why I felt a need to get involved in the community. Well, we are lucky to have you for sure. So let's talk about stages. I know this is a very hard subject and I'm sure there's conflicting information all over, but um, so a lot, there's a lot of stuff on Facebook where people talk about um, the stages of HD and social media and are there really stages in HD? And if there, uh, if there is, does every person experience the same symptoms in these stages? There are lots of different uh, meanings when people say stages of HD. Uh, the the official kind of scientific, what we use uh, are the five stages that are based on the 13-point total functional capacity scale as part of the Unified Huntington's Disease Rating Scale. Um, and, and that's based on five measures of occupation, finances, how well people can do chores, how well they can take care of themselves in terms of activities of late daily living, and where they're cared for, and uh, those are uh, each of those items are scored on a zero to two, and it adds up to uh, 13. And this was a scale that was initially introduced in 1979 by Irish Olson, one of my mentors, and Stan Fon. Um, and it's been looked at over time, and there is a, a, a decline depending on the study, uh, but about half a point to one point per year. And so. Because it's been validated, because it's been around for a long time, um, and it's usually used in, in early stages of, of disease, that's what is typically looked at in terms of um, regulatory guidance, and specifically FDA in, in the United States, but obviously each country uses the, the TFC as well um, in terms of staging. And, and so that's what is really meant in the scientific uh, literature. I think that it's not so simple, and we can't put someone's progression in Huntington's disease on a number. If I tell you your TFC is 10 and you're stage 2, it really doesn't tell you a whole lot. And so other people kind of break it down into more descriptive terms and say that it is early stage, middle stage, and late stage, with early stage being maybe some symptoms, um, people are still able to do their usual in terms of working or driving, handling money, for example, they're fairly independent in terms of their lives. And when people talk about late stage, um, I'm completely biased when it comes to this because um, I've been going to Tewksbury Hospital, which is a hospital on the northern part of Massachusetts on the New Hampshire border, where we have up to 50 patients that um, are anywhere from walking to um, completely immobile and um, various degrees of ability to communicate, but there are people that have been there for 15 or 20 years, they're all considered late stage. And so these are individuals mm -hmm. that really require assistance in terms of their activities of daily living, that whether it's finances or caring for themselves, 
Um, their movements can be very much different. And I would say everything in between that is considered middle stage. Um, and there's obviously a progression. Everybody does progress differently. I like to talk about three M's of Huntington's disease. There's the motor, the, the, motor, the mood, and the, um, excuse me, the movement, the mood, and the memory aspect of M's uh, for, for, part, for, for Huntington's disease. And everyone has different degrees of those uh, M's in Huntington's disease, and it progresses at various stages that become more obvious in that, quote, middle stage of, of Huntington's disease. So we can measure it by numbers if we need to in terms of clinical trials. Um, we can measure it by description in terms of people's functioning and, and what their, their every day is like. But um, that, I think that's why there, there can be some confusion uh, about what we're talking about in terms of stages of Huntington's disease. Sure. And I think, I think it's really interesting because um, the next kind of question I was going to ask is like, is there three or five? Cause there's been a mis like a misunderstanding, but it, when you just said this, it made me click that there's like five stages for, for the medical professionals, for the scientific community, for you guys to be able to regulatory and maybe more like three stages, maybe for us as the community, right? Like you just said it early, mid, late. Um, and I think that's really what the community is looking for. Is those mid, early, late. Not that I don't know how much they mean, but I think that's what they're looking for. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that that's why there's, there is some confusion. Are there three stages? Are there five stages? There are technically five when you talk about it by a number based on the total functional capacity scale. And there really are, <clears throat> generally speaking, very broadly speaking, conceptually, I guess, three stages when you're talking about uh, the descriptions, the early, middle, and late. And it's, there's not a right or wrong. It's just how it's being used. And, and the truth is, if I say to someone that you have early stage Huntington's disease, what's more meaningful if, if I say, yes, you have some symptoms that give you the diagnosis of Huntington's disease, but you're still able to drive and work and handle money and live independently. And, and so I, I think that, that the, the label that we put on to the description of what people can and can't do uh, is, is where there's some confusion. Right. And it's interesting because you watch in the, um, the people, I've, I've, I've spoke to so many families and watched them on these different platforms and how they're communicating about the stage of HD. And it makes me often wonder, like, what are they actually looking for when they're talking about the stages of Huntington's? Mm -hmm. And I think like um, with cancer, you know, they give you like six months, right? You're, you're in stage, I don't know, four of cancer and, and you have six months to live. With Huntington's, you nailed it. You could be in stage five or late stage HD for so many years. And um, so what, you know, I think a lot of people when they ask one, I, I think there's a lot of reasons. One, they're scared to lose their one, their loved one. Right. But then there's mm -hmm. also the thing that they're, they're exhausted watching their loved ones suffer so much. It, it, they, it's so hard to watch your loved ones suffer like that. And you're almost wondering, okay, when it, some people, when is it going to be over? I can't handle it's merciful. Like I can't watch them suffer mm -hmm. like this anymore. Um, so I think that, that that's a big thing to also take into consideration is why do you want to know these stages? And I, and I think that kind of plays into it a lot is a caregiver more asking. Um, Absolutely. Asking and, and I think that that's a, a, a good chunk of it is how can we predict what's going to happen based on what we see here today? And And we kind of, quantify that in quote stages. But when someone gets admitted to a long-term care center, 
um, we certainly see progression of their disease even when they are in that long-term care center. They may be able to walk when, they're, when they first are admitted there, but after 10 years, they can't walk. They may or may not be able to speak, and they, they certainly progress over that time, but there's no number or description to add to that stage. And in fact, our, our usual total functional capacity, zero to 13 point scale bottoms out. And so we, we can't really predict when people get more advanced and, and more loss of function in terms of their Huntington's disease. But on the flip side, on the earlier part of, of Huntington's disease, because it's been studied so well, we, if we put a number on their functioning using the total functional capacity scale and that we use in clinical studies, we can see what people, generally speaking, overall, what they may be like if they have uh, a TFC of 12, for example, and are in stage one. We can also, in, a, in broad terms, generally speaking, predict how they may progress. And so that can give us a clue about in a clinical trial, does this intervention help to improve their function, to stabilize their disease, um, or are they progressing as they would naturally with, uh, w without any intervention? Um, and so I think that, that at both ends of the spectrum, it, it's useful to have some measure of disease. Um, whether this is the best one or not, I don't know. I think that we're still working out how, how to better measure the disease. We, we have great ways of measuring if you have thyroid problems or diabetes, right? You can, for diabetes, mm -hmm. you can take some blood and see what the sugar is on the surface of red blood cells that live for three months and see what was your average sugar like over the past three months and make adjustments in therapies based on that. We don't have that same mm -hmm. kind of test for Huntington's disease, but it would be nice to have it. And I know that lots of people around the world are working on that. Right, right. And so with, with, do you think that um, there, with this medical, like um, interventions or therapies or something, do you find that you, that changes with the different stages or different symptoms with stages, or is it kind of an individual thing? Well, of course, we treat the symptoms as they arise on an individual basis. Uh, it's not as if I do an assessment of someone in clinic and say, ah, their total functional capacity is 12, so they need this medicine. It doesn't work mm -hmm. that way um, just yet. It, it may if we have disease-modifying therapies in the future that insurance will only cover it if you have onset and stage you know, X, Y, or Z, whatever it might be, whatever the criteria are, um, then I think then, then it will make a difference in terms of our, our therapies. But for today, um, it's just like we always have. We, we, we treat the, the human that's, that's in front of us and, and what they mm -hmm. may be going through, what symptoms they're dealing with. Sure. So are there any defining characteristics that you find with different stages of HD? Um, I mean, I think that um, defining characteristics, um, I think it's really just based on the, 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 the patient's functioning. Um, again, if they're an active member of their community, if they're independent, if they are um, still doing all the things that they love to do and, and need to do for their everyday functioning, I, I would put that person in the early stage. Um, but I, I, I don't... I don't think um, otherwise. I, I really think about staging um, as, as a label. Yeah. And so, um, Dr. Frank, when would be a good time for people 
to start meeting with a, a neurologist? Is there a specific stage that you feel that that should happen? Um, no, actually. Uh, it's really dependent on the person's preferences and, and what is best for them. Um, I think if, if you're talking about stage zero prior to onset of symptoms, I still meet with some people on a yearly basis and just talk about what's going on in the therapeutic world and what is happening from a research perspective and see if, if the person has onset of any symptoms, whether it's the, the, the motor mood or um, memory aspect of, of Huntington's disease. And so uh, even early on prior to onset of symptoms, um, people can meet with a, a knowledgeable provider to get information about what's going on. Obviously, if they have onset of any of the symptoms, to address those symptoms as best we can with the tools that are available to us, it's worth meeting with someone who's knowledgeable about Huntington's disease. And, and so um, and even in um, later stages when people um, have lost their independence, perhaps their mobility, perhaps even their ability to communicate, it's still worth meeting with uh, a neurologist and, and having an input from knowledgeable providers related to Huntington's disease. So I would say that, that, that providers who are knowledgeable about Huntington's disease can add to a person's quality of life care, uh, hopefully functioning someday, but certainly some functioning now, uh, by meeting with them at, at any uh, quote stage or, or uh, level of ability to remain independent. Yeah, and I and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but do all uh, do all <laughs> neurologists follow like the same? Is there like a guideline for stages, or is it something that's like in the medical books, or is it something really that that people should be going to an HD expert neurologist to really for them to understand these stages and these different progressions of of Huntington's disease? Well, I'm, of course, biased when it comes to this question. So I do think that it is worth going to uh, a, a neurologist who knows about Huntington's disease. Does it, does it matter if we put a number um, or a label on the stage? Not necessarily for clinical care, um, but it might in terms of research participation, and it might for the future in terms of potential disease-modifying therapies. Um, and so I I think for for that purpose, it is worth meeting with someone who knows how to um, put a label on the stage when it becomes important um, from an insurance perspective, for example, in getting therapeutics. Otherwise, it's it's really addressing the symptoms, and as long as the person is knowledgeable about the issues related to Huntington's disease, then the number that we put on the stage it uh, doesn't really matter all that much in terms of therapeutics. As we sit here today, there's a lot that's in the pipeline, and I, I, I know you, that you have other shows on that, so we don't have to go into that, but I, I hope that someday it does make a difference to, to put a number on on yeah. uh, how someone's Huntington's sure. disease is doing. Perfect. And um, so I have, like, um, two uh, – they're kind of curveballs, and I know Dr. Frank's like, Katie, what are you doing to me right now? But there, I, I know you'll know the answers to these and because of all your experience, but I see these two questions come up on Facebook all the time, and they're a Mythbuster question. Um, there is a thing out there that people think with Huntington's disease for some reason that you can't get cancer. That you can't get cancer. 
Ooh. So yes. I haven't heard it put so strongly before, um, but when you look at the rates of cancer in Huntington's disease population, it is lower compared to other people of the same age. And that's important because obviously we're talking about a younger population. If you're going to compare 40-year-olds um, to 80-year-olds, the rate of cancer is going to be different. But if you can compare 40-year-olds with Huntington's disease to the 40-year-old general population without Huntington's disease, the rate of cancer is lower. So it doesn't mean that you can't get cancer. There's, cancer certainly happens. Um, all the usual cancers um, can happen in populations with, with Huntington's disease. But it, you are, um, uh, it is not that you are completely protected from, from cancer, but the rate is lower compared to the general population. Um, so I, I, I know that this comes up, and, and in Parkinson's disease, there's actually a higher rate of certain cancers like melanoma, and that's just because of the development of mm. the nervous system. That is not the case in Huntington's disease. Um, but, but it's not that people with, with Huntington's never get cancer. Please dispel that myth. Yeah, that, that was okay. Thank you for that. And I know, and I, I think that was like, it kind of scared me because I was like, well, if something's wrong, I don't want people to be like, I'm not going to go get it looked at because I have Huntington's. There's no way I can have cancer. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other one uh, is one that, that is always up, um, that there is no way that a mom can give their child JHD. Only dads can. And I know it's more common for dads, but they're saying there is no possible way for a mother to give their child JHD. Yeah, you know, the, the general rule when it comes to the human body is never say never. Um, because the human body is pretty amazing and remarkable, and there's a lot of shifting and changing. And um, I, I will just about never say never when it comes to um, the human body. And that's true for JHD uh, and whether you can get it from mom or dad. It is true that the, the vast majority, the clear majority, does come from dad because of the instability of the CAG repeats that happens much more from dad. But there are certainly case reports, and that's about what it is in terms of juvenile Huntington's disease coming from mom. So never say never, but it is highly unusual to come from mom. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for answering those. I know I threw those at you, but I knew if anyone could do it, you could, obviously. Um, is there any <laughs> <course>. final thoughts? <laughs> Is there any final thoughts, Dr. Frank, before we wrap here? Well, just in terms of staging, um, you know, uh, we, we, we often think about it in the context of, of functioning, and there's, there's much more than motor that goes into staging. Um, and, in fact, it becomes very difficult to stage the disease if, if people haven't participated in, in some of what we use to measure um, occupation and finances, for example, people who have prominent depression or anxiety and have never worked or can't manage their finances from that, but are physically doing well and can do stuff around the house, they're going to be at a, at a lower stage. So people, just to keep in mind when you're staging, it's, it's all aspects and our system is not set up necessarily for people that have prominent cognitive issues, prominent psychiatric issues, juvenile onset Huntington's disease. Um, you know, the, these are people that never reached the stage sometimes where they manage money at all, certainly haven't worked. Mm -hmm. um, I know my teenage daughters do very little in terms of domestic chores. Um, so um, th these are our are, aspects to consider uh, in terms of staging. We've already talked about the fact that advanced disease, people can be an advanced disease for 10, 15 years, um, and mm -hmm. they progress and change, and there's no s separate staging system for them yet, but we have 
other systems to measure how they're doing um, and, and to monitor their functioning. So uh, I know that was the focus of, of this, and so I just had to, to get my two cents in in terms of those considerations when, when looking at staging. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Frank, and thank you for everything you do for the Huntington's Disease community, um, for sure. I think, um, I think we can wrap up the show for today. Um, just I, The only two announcements I have is that next week uh, they are going to do Mythbusters for Passing on HD. So that should be a very um, interesting show, and if Lauren is not back, I will be doing it. But if Lauren is back and wants to host a show, she will be hosting that for you. Also, just to let you guys know, we have finally announced our first hype date. It is March 13th. So um, stay tuned for speakers and, and what that's going to look like and Zoom codes and registration links. Um, they should be up hopefully by next week. Fingers crossed. Um, it looks like that one's going to have quite an emphasis on psychiatric behaviors. We pulled the community and the community wants to talk about psychiatric, uh, not just behaviors in HD. So um, we definitely listened to what you guys had to say and we are forming a program to hopefully meet some of those needs. So I think that'll do it for today. Thank you, Dr. Frank, and um, everyone have a safe week, and either you will hear back next week from Lauren or myself. Take care. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.